0: Let's go to Isaiah chapter 48 and 17. Then we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 8. I'm really excited about this series we're in. We're talking about how do we know it's God. And last week we talked about this thought. We talked about uh, if, we, if, it, if we believe that what we're hearing from God is from God, first of all, it can be tested. And how we test it is this we ask these questions Is what I'm hearing, is this gospel centered? Is this the good news of Jesus? Is this law or grace? Second thought is, what I'm hearing, does it it glorify Jesus? Will Will it make Jesus more famous? And third thought is this, will it make me more like Jesus? Will it make me more like Jesus? And so, those are three questions we can ask of anything we think we're hearing from God. And if we can answer yes to those three questions, then we should do the thing that God is asking us to do. We should do it. The problem is, is, not very often we're not hearing from God. The problem is is that we're hearing from God. We just don't wanna do what he's asking us to do. Come on, does anybody just wanna just go ahead and admit that this morning? Just sometimes I just don't wanna do it. I hear him say it. I just, I just don't know if I wanna do it. And I wanna talk to you about three things we must confront if we are going to do what we believe God is asking us to do. Isaiah 48 and 17 says this. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you for your benefit, who directs you in the way you should go. Does anybody in the room throw your hand up in the air and say, I need some direction in my life. I need some direction. That's most of us. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna believe that God is gonna speak to us about these challenges we face, how to overcome them. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to be here in your house today. I wanna thank you for the presence of God that we feel in the room right now because that means everything. That makes the difference. If you're not here, we don't wanna do this. And so, because you are here, that means anything is possible. And so, we're believing today that your word is gonna go forth, and you're gonna challenge us, and we're gonna be changed for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody shouted one more time, Amen. 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 So Isaiah 48, 17, again, it says to us, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you for your benefit, who directs you in the way you should go. Last week, we asked those questions. Is it the gospel? Does it glorify Jesus? Will it make us more like him? And if we can answer yes to that, I wonder why we don't do what we believe God is asking us to do. We refuse to act on what we have heard, And I think there are many reasons for this, but I, I believe one of the main reasons we do this is because of limitation, limitation, self-imposed limitation. Uh, we can get stuck in our lives. I don't know if you've ever been stuck. Have you ever been in your car and gotten stuck? Like whether it's in the snow or in the mud? I have a, I have a Jeep and my, my kids are always challenging me to challenge myself in this Jeep. And uh, I didn't buy a Jeep because I'm rugged. I bought a Jeep because I wanted to look rugged. I didn't want to be rugged. Like, I don't want it to get mud all over it. And uh, (laughs) I just wanted to look like if I wanted to run you over, I could run you over. Like, I just want you to know that I could four-wheel over your car if I felt like it. So... (laughs) <laughs> but but uh, my, my daughter in particular, Aaliyah, she's, she's like our, our rambunctious, like she's challenging everything in life right now. And she looks at any mountain and she's like, I bet you can't do that. She looks at any road, she's like, I bet you couldn't go down that. And most of the time I'm like, Aaliyah, I just can't. We don't have time. And uh, there was a few, few days ago, she challenged me. We were driving by this road and it was like a pretty good hill and it was all dirt and it was some mud and stuff. And she said, I bet you can't go up that. And I said, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm gonna show you who your daddy is. And, uh, cause I'm her daddy. And, uh, so I, I said, let's do this. So I turned it off and I was like, I had to pull the manual out to figure out how to put it in a four wheel drive, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't wanna break anything. So, um, so I, I get in into four-wheel drive, finally, and we start we start going up, up the hill, and it's pretty easy at the beginning, but we get to this certain point where it's like, I start to get afraid. She's excited, she's like, yes! I'm freaking out, mud is flying everywhere, I'm spinning, things are going sideways, and I get so scared that the only thing I knew to do was to just hit the brakes, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I couldn't go, I was scared to go forward, I was scared to, to go backward, and, and so I just, I hit the brakes. And so I hit the brakes and we're just sitting there. And she looks at me and I looked at her and I was like, I can't move. I can't move. She's like, dad, dad, just press the gas slowly. We can go forward. We can get, we can get up this hill. And there's a place you can turn around. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. And my greatest fear was that if I tried to go forward, I would fall off of the side of this hill. And she's like, "Dad, this is what this car is designed to do." And I was like, "But I am not designed to drive this car. <laughs> I need a Jetta. I don't need a Jeep." <laughs> so, so so we we finally we finally started to just slide backwards a little bit. And then I somehow by the grace of God made some amazing, you know, move and we got out of there and I'm sitting at the bottom and I can't move again, and I'm like, that is never going to happen (laughs) again. And then I had to clean the thing off. And I didn't realize, like, when you're throwing all that mud around, that it's getting up into crooks and crannies that you didn't even know existed in your car. And for days, I'm hearing mud flying all over the place. And I I just, I, I hate this idea of being stuck in life, not knowing if I should go forward, not knowing if I should go backwards. But I, I believe that God is, is, is constantly speaking this word over us, go. Go. That doesn't always mean we need to leave. That just means we need to go. Sometimes we hear God say go, and we're thinking, oh, I need to, I need to leave. Like, I need to, I need to leave my job. I need to leave. No, no sometimes God is asking us to go in our job. Sometimes God is asking us to go in our marriage. Not every time God tells you to leave is he wanting you to leave your spouse. Can somebody <laughs> say amen? So sometimes God, when he says go, he's, he's just asking us to move, to, to make a move, to, to do something that, 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 it, that keeps us from getting in that place of, of being limited by being stuck. And, and there are some ways we can, get, we can get stuck. We can get stuck in limited thinking, We can get stuck, we talked about this last week, in personal preferences. We can start to believe that because we don't like it, God doesn't like it, and we limit ourselves that way, and we miss out on so much that is beautiful about life because we have these personal preferences, and it's not really God's preference. It's not really even what God likes. We just like it. We get stuck there. Another thing is we get stuck in ineffective traditions. The Bible says that you nullify or you make the Word of God of no effect because of your traditions. We can get stuck in preconceived notions, self-imposed limitations. We get stuck because of our education. We get stuck because of our background. Or we think this is as far as I can go because I only went to school this far. Or or we can even get trapped by, one of the most dangerous things we can get trapped by and stuck in is success. Because success, um, its definition is changing all of the time. And we don't even really know what success looks like. And so we get to this place that we think is success. And we get stuck because, oh man, it's really good here. And I don't want to move on to anything else. And so we get stuck. And God is constantly saying, go. Matter of fact, his command to the disciples when he left, he said, I want you to go. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. This is my command to go. Go. Not asking you, I'm telling you, go. In Matthew chapter eight, I find a story that I want to use today to kind of drive this point home, this idea home that God is asking us to go. In Matthew chapter eight, the Bible says there that Jesus is doing some incredible, incredible things. I hear it, it's okay. He's doing some incredible, incredible things. God said, answer that phone. He said, I'm just kidding, just kidding. He's, he's doing some amazing things. And the, and the Bible tells us right at the beginning of the chapter, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus heals a person with leprosy. His Bible says, when he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus got put his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then the Bible goes on down. It says that he meets this centurion. So when Jesus entered Capernaum, verse 5, when Jesus entered Capernaum, he said to, he saw a centurion man came to him, pleading with him. He said, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully, tormented. Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. Centurion said, no, you don't have to come to heal him. I I, I I know what you can do. I'm a person with authority just like you are, and I have authority, and I'm also under authority. So when I say something, the people that work for me, they do it. And, and, and whatever you say, I realize that that thing that you say, it works for you now, so it has to do what you say. So basically, he heals this guy's servant without even going to his house. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus goes into Peter's house. He walks into to Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law, she is there, she's sick with a fever. And the Bible says, and probably one of the miracles that Peter wished never had happened, the Bible says, but Jesus healed his mother-in-law, and she rose and served him. I like Jesus. I like Jesus' swag too, because Jesus is like, "Hey, I don't want to get myself a drink, so I'm gonna heal this woman so she can go get it for me." Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. Um, so then the next, then the next, <laughs> then the next verse says, uh, "says says Then the evening came, and they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed what all who were sick." How many of you would believe that this is this is successful ministry happening right now? Like if this was going on in 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 our church or in our community, that kind of stuff, I mean, you you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't have to ever advertise. You wouldn't have to have an Instagram page. You wouldn't have to invite people. They would just be showing up on your doorstep. Jesus is in the middle of the most successful part of his entire ministry, it would seem. And then he does something crazy. The Bible says that After all of this success and after everything that is happening, the Bible says, when he saw that great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Now, Jesus, like, this is the point where I'm not leaving. I'm building a building. I'm taking up an offering. You know what I'm saying? Like This is like the point where it's like, okay, this is where the Spirit is. All of this stuff is working. This is the place we should kind of settle in. Jesus says, no, no, no. He saw the great multitudes coming around him and he said, let's go to the other side. It made no sense to leave when you're experiencing so much success. But that's the way Jesus is. He is constantly asking us to go, not to get trapped in our success. I think... I think, we would have, I think we would have probably handled the burning bush situation that Moses had in the Old Testament a little differently than Moses handled it. I think many of us, if we would have had an experience with God like that where God spoke to us from a burning bush that was not consumed, I think many of us would build an altar there, build a place there where we could worship there and we could come, to, come back to that place because that is the place of our greatest encounter with God. And I think so many of us get stuck because of an experience we had and we can't move on because we can't see anything better than that experience we had. And we're always talking about how God moved way back when and what God did way back when and when God was moving way back when and God's like, hey, I'm still moving and I want to continue to move. I I wanted you to have an encounter there, but I didn't want you to build a house there. I didn't want you to stay there. I want you to keep going. I want your life to be a life that just keeps going. I want you to move from place to place, experience to experience. I want you to, again, I'm not saying that you leave your relationships or you leave and you just keep bouncing around from church to church or you keep going from city to city. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sometimes in the middle of what you are doing, God is saying, I want you to go. I want you to make a move. I don't want you to get settled here. And I believe the first thing that we have to overcome to really go when God asks us to go is comfort. I believe that comfort is a real enemy of ours. See, God doesn't ask you to leave for the sake of leaving. He doesn't ask you to go for the sake of going. He asks you to go because he's calling you to something. He's calling you to something. In other words, Everything that God is doing for you, he is actually not just with you, but he is actually ahead of you, preparing things before you get there. And comfort is keeping us from the things that God has prepared for us. So the Bible says, remember we talked about this, no eye has seen, no ear is heard, no mind can know what God has in store. But by his spirit, he's revealing his plans or those things that he's working out to those who love him. He's, he's always in front of you working something out and he's, he's calling you from that to it. God never calls you out of something just so that you can wander around in vagueness, and in confusion. In chaos. God didn't call the children of Israel out of Egypt so that they could just hang out in the wilderness for 40 years. That wasn't God's fault. That was their fault. God's plan was leave Egypt, go into Canaan a few days later because that was the length of the journey. But they spent 40 years wandering around in a wilderness trying to get somewhere that it would have only taken them days to get because they stayed comfortable and refused to get out of what was familiar And when they were out there, that's how do you know it? Why? Because when when they when they got out there, they were constantly wanting to go back. They didn't even want Canaan. They didn't want, they're like, You brought us out here. You did this to us. You made this happen. And God's like, No, I didn't bring you out to bring you here. I brought you out to bring you in. Is there anybody in the room grateful that God doesn't bring you out to just leave you in this weird, wandering desert place? He brings you out to take you in, but you've got to say, you know, God, if you're going to bring me out to take me in, I've got to be willing to get uncomfortable. I've got to be willing to leave what is familiar. And here's our problem. Comfort is this, comfort is a problem because I can guarantee you that most of the people in this room today are hearing God. You just don't like what he's saying. Because it messes with your comfort. And that baby made the collective sound for all of us. Like, ah, I don't want to do it. (laughs) But we 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 hear God and He's telling us to make a move, but we just don't like what He's saying. Here's the problem with staying comfortable is that God isn't asking you to leave for the sake of leaving. He is asking you to leave. He's asking you to go. He's asking you to move because He has a place where He has commanded His blessing. There's only a certain level of blessing that you can get here if you remain. Sometimes you have to move to get to the place that God has now commanded his blessing. <laughs> this is just, let me just give you some, some examples. I wanna give you a scripture out of Ecclesiastes. And this is an interesting scripture because Solomon's trying to say something that uh, he's not saying accurately accurately. A lot of Ecclesiastes is is uh, Solomon in a really bad mental condition, saying a lot of stuff that that is right, but he's saying it the wrong way. Does that make sense? So I, I wouldn't encourage you to develop any doctrine out of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Solomon is, is a weird point in his life, but but he says something that is he's saying he's saying something that's right, but he's he's saying it the wrong way. He's not. He's not saying it correctly. And I want I want to read it to you because I want to I want you to hear what he's trying to say. This is what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9 and 11. It says, "I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all." In other words, he's he's saying this he he's saying he's saying coincidence. He's saying it's being at the right place at the right time. But we understand that when we serve God, it's not coincidence that God orders the steps of the righteous man. Come on, somebody. It's not coincidence. It's not chance. It didn't just happen. But God has ordained these steps. What he's, what he's trying to say is that God, uh, God is the one responsible uh, to bless you if you are in the right place at the right time. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, uh, you, you can be really fast and still lose the race. You can be extremely strong and work out all the time and still get beat in the battle. You you can be wise and be hungry. You can be smart and be poor, and you can be learned and have no favor. What I have found out, what I have observed about life, is that time and chance happen to everybody. In other words, what he's trying to say, what is biblically accurate, is that there is a purpose and a plan that God has for everything, and there is a place and a time that his blessing is commanded so he's saying he's saying listen i've watched people work out every day and they still get beat up i've watched people go to school and get all the education they could get and they still end up broke what happens to everyone is right place right time this is what happened for a woman in the bible her name was ruth there are countless examples of this We'll give you this example of Ruth really quick. The Bible says in Ruth chapter 2 verse 3 that Ruth, the Bible says, happened to be in Boaz's field at the right time. In other words, in Ruth's life, what she had done, her husband has died, her sister-in-law's husband has died, and her mother's husband has died. Ruth has a decision to make. Is she going to go back home to her family and what is familiar or is she going to go with her mother-in-law to a place she doesn't know, to people she doesn't know? Ruth makes a decision. She makes the right decision for her. Listen, her, sis- her sister-in-law went home. That doesn't mean that her sister-in-law made the wrong decision. Can somebody say amen? Sometimes, sometimes going uh, doesn't mean for you what it means for somebody else. Can somebody say amen? God's not called us to all work the same job, to all be married to the same person. Is anybody grateful for that? To all do the same thing. So, so sometimes it can be portrayed as if, if, as if Ruth's sister-in-law did something wrong because she went home. No, the Bible doesn't say that. That was the right thing for her. But Ruth made up in her mind that she was going to follow her mother-in-law. This is what she believed was the right decision for her. And the Bible says that she made a decision. She said, Naomi to her mother in law, she said, I'm going to to go with you. And where you go, I go. Your people are going to be my people, and your God is going to be my God. And as soon as she made that decision, the, the trajectory of her life changed. She went from a widow who had lost everything to in just a few months to a woman who had everything restored back to her and better than she had it before because she made up her mind first of all watch this to get to the right place you got to do the right thing for some of us we're wondering god why aren't you blessing me and god's like i i cannot bless you while you continue to lie i, I can't i want to bless you but you continue to lie You have a false resume out there, and you keep wanting me to bless you and give you a job when you don't trust me to give you a job. You keep making up stuff, so I can't bless that. (laughs) This is getting heavy really quick. Some people are like, God, where is the blessing? God said, it would happen if you would stop stealing. It would happen if you would just make the, see, a lot of people are like, how can I get my life to start going in the right direction? Can I tell you just very simply, there's, there's, there's nothing mysterious about it. Just start doing the right thing. Do you know how to get your marriage going in the right direction? Stop cheating. Do, do, do you know how, how, to, how to get your finances going into, in the right direction? Stop stealing. Start giving. I just, I just want you to understand that you can turn your life around by doing the right thing. And we don't do the right thing to get some result. We do the right thing because doing the right thing is the right thing. It is always right to do the right thing. And in her heart, she believed that the right thing was to go where Naomi went. And because she did what she believed was right, it put her in position to get what God had for her. And the Bible says in Ruth chapter 2 verse 3, it says, she happened to find herself in the field that belonged to Boaz. Oh, it's just chance, right? No, she made a decision to do what's right. And she ended up at the right place at the right time. Man, that's good news. But it took her being willing to get outside of her comfort zone. In 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a story of a man named Elijah. And the Bible tells us that God told Elijah twice to move on from a place where he was providing for him. He, he first of all came to him and he said, I have got a word, I want you to deliver this word. He delivers the word and God says, now it's time for you to go and be in this certain place. He sent him to the Kareth Ravine, which was a place where God said, there, there's going to be a brook and there are going to be ravens that come and feed you supernaturally. Now the ravens, you have to understand something. You got to get to this brook because the ravens have a GPS system that is only going to bring food to this place. I need you to understand something about God. God does not bless your agenda. He blesses his. You can't just do something and then say, hey, God bless it. You gotta make sure it's the thing that God wants you to do. Because when, when you do what God wants you to do, you won't have to wonder where the blessing is coming from. He can send ravens if he has to. He can create streams in the middle of a desert if he has to. God is a God of supernatural provision and supernatural will. He can do whatever he wants, wherever he wants. You just need to be where he wants you to be. You, you, that's why you don't, get to just, you don't get to just go to the church you want to go to just because you really like it there. It's got to be the place where God says, hey, I have food for you there. I'm going to feed you there. There's going to be water there. There's going to be food there. There's going to be provision there. And then he says, he says, well, this brook is drying up and I need you to move again. I need you to go to Zarephath. There's a widow there that's going to take care of you. Now watch this. None of us would make the decision on our own. To go to a place where there is a drought, where there is famine, to go to a widow and ask for help. None of us would come up. If if you're in a bad season in life and and you're thinking, what should I do? Nobody's thinking, you know what? I need to go to a place that's in a famine and there's a widow there. (laughs) Nobody thinks that way. But God thinks that way. That's why we gotta gotta really tune in when the Bible tells us in Isaiah 48 and 17, I am the God, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I teach you for your benefit and I direct you in a way that you should go. There is a way that you should go. That's why it's important. We've got to, when we hear God and it's his, it's his good news and it's gonna glorify him and it's gonna make us more like him, that's why we have to respond because if we respond, we find the blessing there. there. There are a lot of people that are like, where's the blessing? And God's like, well, it's in a place. What's the place? It's this place called unity. The Bible says, where there's unity, yeah. there I have commanded the blessing. Do you know what God doesn't bless? Drama. God doesn't bless division. God doesn't bless gossip and backbiting. You know what God blesses? Unity. You wanna make a move? How about you move out of drama's house? How about you move away from division and divisive people? And you move into this space called unity. How about you move away from gossip? God, I'm not blessed. Yeah, because you keep talking about everybody that's trying to bless you. You keep shutting down the resources of your life. You keep choking out the, you keep choking out the gift I'm trying to send you because you keep talking bad about it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'll never forget, somebody called me one day and they said, hey, I need some advice. I said, well, what, what, what is it? They said, um, I'm trying to help somebody, but they won't answer my phone calls. I said, well, well why, aren't they answer, why aren't they not answering your phone calls? Well, years ago, our families had a falling out, and uh, we just haven't spoken in years. But I heard that they had this need, and I've got the resources to meet the need, but they won't speak to me. I just want you to know that that phone call you don't answer, that might be your, your provision that person you don't wanna to talk to you from your family that hurt you years ago and let you down and disappointed you, they might be calling because they have a job for you. They have resources for you. But you're like, I, I, would, never, I would never think that, that it would be them and that's, that's why God said, that's, that's why you need my instruction on which way to go because you would never think of a widow in the middle of a famine. Jeez, that's good, man. I don't care if you don't like it. That's really good. (laughs) Second thought, certainty. Comfort. We have to overcome comfort. We have to overcome certainty. Certainty is, yeah, we're hearing from God, but we won't move because we're not sure how it's going to be done. For us, we're, we're people who need to know why, when, how, and where, but really the opposite of faith is certainty. It's this, it's this thought that I need to know all of the answers to do what God is calling me to do. No, all I need to know is that he's calling me from something to something. He came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I want you to leave while you're familiar with and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. So in other words, I'm not gonna show it to you until you make up your mind to leave what you're certain about, what you're sure about. See, you know what your life is gonna look like in 10 years if you do this, but you don't know what it's gonna look like if you do this. I need you to leave the certainty that you have for the uncertainty of following me. It's tough, right? It's tough because there's, there's a scripture in Psalm 20 and seven. It says, some trust in chariots and horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's, it's tough to not trust in things you can see and trust a name that you cannot see. So some may trust in horses and some may trust in chariots. Why? Because we've tested the horses. We, have, we know what the horses can do. We, we know how far this horse can run. We know what this horse is capable of. We know how much this horse can carry. We know what this chariot is built out of. We know how... how, how, how far it can go, how fast it can go. We know what it's capable of, but sometimes because we've trusted in those things so much, we don't have a built-in trust for the name of the Lord, our God. And I've got got good news for you, that even though horses are strong and chariots are sturdy, there's a name that's above every name. His name is Jesus. Jesus. And you can count on him. You can count on Jesus more than money. You can count on Jesus more than your friends. You can count on Jesus more than your job. You can count on Jesus more than your health. You can count on Jesus more than your investments. You can count on Jesus, come on, more than your education. You can count on Jesus more than your background. Some may trust in horses and chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Why? Because at his name, the name of Jesus. Every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means at the end of all of it, whatever it is, is going to have to say, Jesus, you were greater. Jesus, you were bigger. Jesus, you were stronger. So we got to get rid of this need for certainty. I need to know the outcome. I need to know why. I need to know how. I need to know when. I, I, I can't really move with God. If I need certainty. Let me, let me put it this way. If you need certainty. I don't think the longing for certainty is necessarily the bad thing. I think it's bad when you put it in the wrong thing. Because here's the thing about God. He is honestly, truthfully, more certain than anything else you could put your confidence in. So when when you say, I need certainty, make sure you don't need certainty from your circumstances, but you need a certainty from God. And can I tell you, is there anybody in this room who could testify by just putting your hands together or maybe lifting your voice this morning that when God says he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it. Will you stand on your feet with me? Last thought is this, calculation. We've gotta overcome comfort, certainty, calculation. This part of us that we get information and we put it through this, uh, this, this formula, this calculator. It's like, okay, I get all this information and then I'm gonna put it into this thing. and It's gonna be, okay, this has a 37.875632 chance of su- succeeding, so I'm not going to do it. This calculation. It's this mindset that says, I can't because I only have. So like in Luke chapter 9, verse 13, there were thousands of people following Jesus and Jesus turned to his disciples who were saying, Oh, Jesus, all these people that are following you are hungry. And Jesus looks at them and says, hey, you feed them. And they calculate in their head. There's 5,000 people and we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. It doesn't calculate. We, there's, 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 not a, there's not a formula to make this work. You can't make five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish fill 5,000 men. You, you can't do it. What does Jesus say? Whatever you have, give it to me. Yeah. See, that's what God is telling you today. What you think is not enough with God is more than enough. God even told a man named Gideon, he came to him and Gideon was getting ready to go up against hundreds of thousands of men. And and Gideon had about 30,000 men and God looked at him and said, that's too many. See sometimes the thing you need to understand about God is God is depleting the resources so that you can find out who your true resource is. See sometimes he's letting your bank account get a little bit empty so you can find out that the person who really fills your account is not your job, it's not your boss, it's Him. I just want you to know that with him, not enough is too much. Not enough is, is, is too much. Here's the thing about God. You should always have more vision than you have resources. In this room today, I want you to know something. You are not stuck because you don't have enough. You are stuck because you are not believing for more. Some people look at their life, I'm stuck because I don't have what it takes. I'm stuck because I don't have the education. I'm stuck because I don't have the background. I'm stuck because I don't have the right relationship. I'm stuck because, no, nope, you are not stuck because you don't have enough. You are stuck because you refuse to believe for more. And you have put a limitation on your life that doesn't exist. When you put financial limitations on your life, they don't exist for the child of God. When you put relational limitations on your life, they don't exist for the child of God. If God wants you to get into a room, God will knock the door wide open and plant you in that room if he has to. Yeah. This is the God you serve. So stop not following, not responding, not doing because you're so calculating. Uh, da, 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 this is a five-year plan, uh, this isn't, it's not gonna work out. Yeah, yeah. With God, not enough is too much. I need you to understand something. When it comes to the things that God has for you, those things are always occupied with opposition. Always. When they left Egypt and they got into the promised, do you know when they got to the promised land, there were giants they still had to defeat in the promised land. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. He said, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great and effective door of work has opened for me. Watch this and He goes, and there are also many adversaries here. There's a lot of people opposing the work that I'm doing. In other words, what he's saying, almost a sign that I'm in the right place is that people don't like what I'm doing. People are opposing me. People are pressing back against me. I just want you to know that if everybody is on board with your idea, then your idea isn't going to make an impact. The only ideas, the only thoughts, the only movement that makes an impact is the movement that makes somebody mad. Somebody is going to be angry with you. But it doesn't matter who is against you. Come on, somebody. If God is for you, I'd rather do what God tells me to do than live my life in fear and then pause because I'm afraid of what somebody's going to say, what somebody's going to tweet, what somebody's going to Instagram. I just refuse to live there. I'm going to not calculate my next move with God. Doesn't mean you don't plan. Doesn't mean you don't look forward. Doesn't mean any of that. But listen, don't say it's not from God just because you don't have the resources. Don't say that. Matthew 8, what's the end of all this? What is the purpose of the move? Well, the purpose of the move is not for the blessing. The purpose of the move, if you look at Matthew chapter 8, the reason Jesus said, hey, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side it's because it's nice over here where we're making, you know, we're healing Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's crying over in the corner, why'd you heal my mother-in-law? And Jesus is like, let's go, Peter, we're going to the other side. It's nice over here where, where her fever is getting healed, and that matters to God. But can I tell you, there's, there's something happening on the other side of this lake that is, that is wild. And the Bible says that on the other side of the lake, there were two men who were demon-possessed. They were being tortured by the devil, the Bible says that when Jesus and the disciples got there, they immediately came running to Jesus. Jesus, he delivered them from that possession and that oppression of the enemy. And their lives were changed. And not only were their lives changed, but that entire region was changed for the glory of God. Do you know why God wants you to make a move? Because there's more territory that needs to be taken for him. There's more people that need to be won to him. Do you know why we can't settle? We can't just say, oh, there's the money is good. We're paying the bills and we've got money in the bank and we're blessing other countries and we're blessing people in the community and people are being saved and the building is full. Do you know why we can't settle here? Because there are still people on the outside of these walls that need Jesus. There are still people living up under bridges. There are still people dying on our streets of drugs and al- drug and alcohol abuse. There are still people in, in, in prison. There are still people come on somebody, in mental facilities. There are still people that are struggling. There are still marriages that are falling apart. There are still kids that are running away. There's still something that God wants us to do. Don't get comfortable in your padded fold up, fold down seat. Realize that God is saying it's time to move. You cannot stay here. Is there anybody with me that we can't stay here? We've got to keep pushing. We've got to get to the other side because there's people that need what God is wanting to do in their life. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you.